Hello, welcome to The World in 10, your daily update on the biggest stories from around the world as seen through the eyes of the Times of London. I'm Sonal Patel. And I'm Steve Holden. On the way, did the dividing lines in world politics just get a little deeper? Why King Charles could receive a hostile welcome in France. And the UK's Premier League just got its oldest ever football manager. Let's get to it. We'll start with two friends. Уважаемый господин председатель, дорогой друг, добро пожаловать в Россию, в Москву. I'll do the heavy lifting for you, translation-wise. They both refer to each other as dear friend. The summit between President Xi Jinping of China and President Vladimir Putin has been continuing for a second day in Russia. More formal today, being hosted at the Kremlin, a huge red carpet on display, pageantry, the full works. Yeah, if the length of the carpet is proportional to pomp, we're talking a massive show of respect here. Um, they're powerful allies. Um, they've said they should work together even more closely. Uh, Moscow says it's ready to help Chinese businesses. And China is proposing a peace deal on Ukraine. We're a little light on detail, though. To discuss this, I caught up with the Times Middle East correspondent Richard Spencer, who has extensively covered events in the likes of China, Ukraine and beyond, and started by asking him what message this summit is sending out. I think it's saying to the world that uh, in the view of Russia and China, it is now time to take sides. Um, they think they've been forced into it by America and the West. Uh, Russia and China are taking sides, uh, not necessarily with a positive agenda, not with a, trying to spread a message or a, uh, or a system of government or anything, but they're taking sides against what they see as the encroachment of America, you know, enforce its norms of government uh, on countries around the world. So do you think that we're going to see uh, a lot more countries being far more outspoken in their support for one side or the other? I think the interesting thing, it'll probably have the reverse effect. Um, I think a lot of countries don't want to take sides and are feeling rather harassed by this uh, bipolarity, as, as people are starting to talk about. Um, if you look at countries like uh, other important countries like India, uh, like Turkey, they really don't want to get involved in this this shouting match. Uh, they they regard themselves as having their own difficult relationships in their neighbourhoods, uh, including Russia in Turkey's case and China in India's case, and and they don't want to be sort of standard bearers in this in this new Cold War, whatever whatever we call it. How worried should the West, and I say that in inverted commas, be? I think, I think they are concerned. You know, any strategic view of the world, um, starting in from Russia's resurgence militarily under Putin and resurgence in terms of his more anti-Western posture, uh, you know, would have probably wanted to avoid a situation where two heavily armed nuclear powers were you know, allying themselves against what clearly against Western interests. Whether that means that at the end of the day, should conflicts arise, they will absolutely come to each other's support wholeheartedly. That's a slightly different matter. But I don't think you want to be in a position where you're, you're you know, having to make that, um, make that bet. And that's the position that the West has found itself in. The Times is Richard Spencer there, and in the newspaper today, there's an article from William Haig um, commenting on this as well. He was, of course, Foreign Secretary back in the day under the former UK Prime Minister David Cameron. He says Xi Jinping and Vladimir Putin 
are not trying to appeal to us here in the UK, as amazing as that sounds. Their audience is what William Hague refers to as the Global South, South Asia, parts of Africa and Southeast Asia. We in the West have to get used to the idea that not everyone thinks our way, that these countries in the Global South will act in their own interests as they think the West does. My friend was in Paris at the weekend and kept sending me pictures of all the rubbish that is piling up in the capital city. It's immense. Yeah, it's become a bit of a tourist attraction. Uh, Not the nicest tourist attraction, it has to be said. This is, of course, the result of a long-running dispute uh, that's happening across the country with strikes and protests over a number of weeks. And President Macron is seemingly facing difficulties on all sides of this, not least because of him increasing the state pension age. Yeah, so just to recap, he pushed it from 62 to 64 years old using an executive order. It didn't go through Parliament, didn't have a vote, caused lots of upset. And last night, because of that, he faced a no-confidence motion in the National Assembly, which was rejected, but only by nine votes. So a lot of disdain and unhappiness. Yeah, and this weekend, King Charles is visiting France. And according to Times Paris correspondent Adam Sage, that malaise could spread to the monarch, particularly in relation to a planned trip to Bordeaux. The plan was to have a kind of environmental day where he'd arrive on a train, take the tramway to the city centre, have a walkabout and then go to an organic vineyard. The unions have said there's no way he's getting a tramway. No one's going to drive him. And if one of the managers tries to drive him, we'll block the tracks, basically. Now, I imagine that they're, you know, they're hurriedly rearranging it. And it's not just the transport arrangements that are causing a headache. The whole idea of a very public visit from a foreign monarch isn't exactly helpful for President Macron at the moment. I'm told that on Sunday night, they're scheduled to have a state banquet at Versailles, the Chateau of Versailles. For Macron's image at the moment, that's extremely unfortunate. Given the history of Versailles, I mean, this was the former royal palace where Louis XVI was, was forced to leave in 1793 before he was guillotined. And given the fact that we're seeing people walking around France saying that they want Macron to suffer the same fate as Louis XVI. And of course, his, his opponents will be saying, well, look, this is, shows that he's just a modern day monarch, a modern day uh, Louis XVI. Turning to British football now, and a new record has been set in the UK's famous Premier League because Roy Hodgson, at the age of 75, wow. has become the league's oldest ever manager. He is returning to Crystal Palace. I'm going to give you a quick potted history of English Roy, as he's affectionately known in Sweden, where he won loads of trophies with Malmo. Uh, so he's managed 22 different teams in eight different countries, amazing in itself, including England. He also managed the Finnish national team and he used to play, but he really wasn't very good. So Roy 75, just as a comparison, when Manchester United's legendary manager, Sir Alex Ferguson, stepped back from his role, he was only 71. Yeah, which got us thinking about football extremes. Uh, So the youngest ever manager, someone called Ryan Mason, managed Spurs 
he was 29 years old, although he was only a caretaker. Eight leagues below the Premier, so deep into the depths, there is a 20-year-old who manages Yaxley, would you believe? Obviously a talent, and if you do love a bit of football sporting trivia, the oldest player in the Premier League right now is Thiago Silva, who plays for Chelsea. He's all of 38. And the oldest ever player in the league, it's John Burridge, who was kicking a ball around until he was 43 years old. Sonal, as an English graduate at university, do you have a favourite uh, Charles Dickens story or adaptation? OK, uh, does... I'm glad you said adaptation. Does the Muppet Christmas Carol uh, count? Uh, absolutely. It's amazing. Yeah, it's a great, great film. Uh, great Expectations is up there, though, and there's this new adaptation on the way. Yeah, it's the story of uh, Pip. He's a blacksmith's apprentice who comes into a large fortune and then moves into high society. Great characters like Miss Havisham, but there's also Mr Jaggers, who in this new series is played by black British actor and rapper Ashley Thomas, also known as Bashy. And I think Ashley Thomas has preempted the naysayers and the critics by saying that casting people of colour in period dramas is actually being accurate to the time and not, as some might argue, woke. Yeah, this is the quote from him in the Times of London. London at the time was a melting pot of different cultures. You had people from Asia, Africa and the Caribbean, even before the Windrush era. I think it's important that these shows show that representation. Uh, some people call it colourblind casting, don't they? With one argument uh, being that such casting makes people who don't know history think that Britain was a colourblind society when there was rampant racism. Yeah, and that makes sense. But shows like Bridgerton, full of diversity and a smash hit, surely prove that most people just don't care. Do you ever see what colour the actors are? It's about great storytelling, isn't it? It's about great acting and giving people a really good show that the makers of this new Great Expectations will be hoping for. It also features Olivia Coleman, so it's got an Oscar winner in there too. Uh, that is all for today. And don't forget, if you enjoyed the journalism you heard on this podcast, you can take out a digital subscription to The Times of London.